it's our oh, cold open. You know what oh, I mean? that... so we don't have to start right off the bat. Is that how I, you do the thing? I usually yeah, I start the recording like five minutes earlier, and there's exactly. a bunch of crap at the beginning that Becky has to cut out. Well, but sometimes oh. I use it. Sometimes you can. Sometimes Hello so and welcome back to Jersey Shore Family Reunion Family Vacation in Isolation doing the birdcage. Holy moly. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was great. It's the quarantine, and we decided we would do our special movie one. Now, it's a birdcage. Yep. Strap in. We got nothing else to do. It's almost as though each of us is in a birdcage. That's oh. crazy. I hadn't even put that together till now. Oh, man. Oh, that's I'm so you- excited to uh, read all sorts of new meaning into the birdcage based on our current situation. <laughs> it's oh, so man. hard not to see the parallels between this very scary and kind of like unprecedented global trauma and the feeling you get when watching the bird. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't mind. I had a little pool on my patio right now. Oh, yeah. A little pool on the patio wouldn't hurt anybody. I am drinking white wine and uh, and whiskey like they are through this whole movie, though, which has been fun. Excellent. They just, they've been really, I've been really thinking about Armand when, uh, let me tell you why, this whole, uh, this whole quarantine. Well, and he really shuts down uh, beer drinking early on. He's like, that, oh. there will be no beer drinking in this movie. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. To get us started. We're four former roommates. We're the Jersey Shore family reunion gang. But right now we're covering The Birdcage. Why? Because it was one of our favorite movies as an apartment unit. Actually, probably our favorite movie, if I could dare say that. Do you think it was our favorite movie out of all the movies I, we watched? I think that is one of the top three. When people ask me what my favorite movie is, I almost invariably say The Birdcage. Not to make it too much by myself, but I think we all we all enjoyed watching it. 7,500 times. Look, we shared a womb and our mother was the birdcage. So we can all go out into the world and say, it's my favorite movie. We know what that means. I usually say Tron Legacy just to throw people off. But uh, Oh, really? Yeah, the birdcage is probably up there. Yeah, you could see that. (laughs) You know know what's kind of interesting? I sort of remember the the birdcage as being sort of of a time when I was not spending as much time as much time at home mm. uh, as I had before. So I think this was one that kind of started with you guys was like mostly you guys. And I was, I was sort of, be, I was like a little fringe. Interesting. <laughs> oh yeah. But I, I love the birdcage and I'm glad to have gotten more into it since, since you guys led the charge. But I, I, I give you guys the credit. I had not seen the birdcage until we started living together. Really? Oh, wow. Really? Oh yeah. Wow. I think I may have what seen, treat. this may not be, I probably saw Birdcage first. I was going to say, I may have seen RuPaul's Drag Race before I saw the Birdcage. Wow. Which is kind of wacky. That's a fun order, but definitely the wrong. <laughs> the wrong order historically. <laughs> what about you, Zach? Do you remember the first time you saw the Birdcage? No, I, I can't recall. It must have been. I, I, I think I saw it before I moved to the model home. And uh, always remember it being like painfully funny but no i don't i don't remember i always remember it being really great but i think once we started living together and watching it all the time it was like oh this is like one of the best movies ever made it was just like a whole different kind of vibe it really is perfect yeah it's like it's one of those perfect movies like back to the future or something where everything about it is great 
Everything about it is of- very well well taken care of. Yeah. Well I don't you remember. Up, you crack open the hood on that one and you look underneath. Woo. She's purring. She's purring. Becky, when did you first you got, uh, you got watch five the VH. Strangers and got your 400 horsepower. All right. So, um, all right. All right. All right. That was awesome. Thank you. So, I don't remember the first time I saw it. It feels like one of these movies that, like, like Death Becomes Her or something, where I, as a kid, would have been like, What's this? This is actually kind of funny, like, flipping by like USA and seeing it. But also could have been that, like, my mom had it on or something. I don't know. It does feel like a very, like, grown-up movie. For sure. It also is interesting that you bring up Death, Death Becomes Her, where it's, like, Zemeckis or Nichols or whoever, every, like, fifth movie, they'd want to make a comedy. Yeah. You know? They'd want to be like, yeah, I'm going to, like, I haven't made a comedy in a while, and that's what I'm going to do. And now, like, no one makes comedies anymore. So yeah. to, like, sit down and be like, this is a, a big-budget a Hollywood comedy Starring all of the movie stars of its time and directed by an Academy Award winning director and legendary screen. It's like, oh, that does this just doesn't, they don't have these anymore. Can you yeah, imagine an Academy Award winning? Let's take that again. <laughs> yeah. Hey, maybe we should uh, set the stage for everybody. We're not recording this in our normal way. Uh, we are in four different places, four former roommates in four different places. We're on four balconies shouting at each other. Yeah. (laughs) Playing in pots and pans. (laughs) With a microphone strung right in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tomato can and, but it's got four strings coming through it. And in the middle where the strings intersect, it's a can. (laughs) Does that make sense? Uh, I think it does. Oh yeah. Um, And inside the can is a very expensive microphone. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. No, inside the can is a very, very nice and mistake. a little mouse and a little mouse running it. <laughs> but he's not supposed to be there. He just Don't climbed in, there. and it no. turned out he's a very good sound engineer. Yeah, he dreams. He dreamed of being a podcaster. Yeah. High <laughs> fiveal. I just brought this up. <laughs> that works. That works so well. High fiveal. I like it. I just brought this up on my phone because I was gonna have some uh, like deets up on the thing. Guess what That's this movie a- has on on Rotten Tomatoes. 100 100%. 100%. 79%. Huh. Who's voting on Rotten Tomatoes? That's a total you know, slap. I, is crazy. there a thing on Rotten Tomatoes maybe where like there used to like critics used to be harsher about movies uh, and now or, or maybe there were just fewer critics who were publishing movie reviews. And nowadays it's like anybody and their, their cousin can be write up a, a review and it gets factored into the tomato score. I get sure. It. That's a good question. I, I mean, I, don't I, they yeah. have like like professional reviewer uh, response, and then like just anybody can write a review response? Yeah, yeah what response? What's like the audience? Like I liked it score. Audience score is eighty one percent. Huh. Tomato meter is seventy nine percent with only forty eight uh, counts. Do you guys like want to hear just want to hear just like one of the bad reviews? Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Not Maybe even, more than this one. Is, I never thought this would be part of this podcast. <laughs> uh, I'll just read you the headline because you know it's funny. Uh, a glossy miscalculation with Nathan Lane and Robin Williams. Wow. Who huh. wrote that? Could, the family could it be wrong? Edward Guthman, the San Francisco Chronicle. What? Screw oh. you, Guthman. Hey, I'll be waiting for a good review from Guffman. Am I right? Hey. <laughs> was, it, 
You might be waiting for Guffman for a long time. He was just upset they didn't film it in San Francisco because of Mrs. Doubtfire. Honestly. Oh, that's probably what it was. Doubtfire, that was a good one. I don't think it would have worked as well in in San Francisco. That's just me. Yeah, oh, 100%. It had to be in Miami. By the way, this is part of the reason. I mean, we're doing The Birdcage because... Uh, we love the the Birdcage so much, but we're doing it this season of Jersey Shore because they're in Miami and the Birdcage is in the South Beach. Is South Beach in Miami? Oh, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, something like that. They're in Miami. Yeah. They're in Miami. They're in Miami. Yeah. South and South I Beach also... Sorry. No, it's fine. I was just... I couldn't believe Brian started weighing in without knowing. He just started kind of going, um... I And it was... He just, like, was waiting for his, to know. And that's that's cool too. His in-laws live in Miami, right? Yeah, I, I, cause like I think technically Miami Beach might be a different city than Miami, Jackie intern. But they're so close; it doesn't matter. I mean, they're the same. Yeah, no. Is that new- wait? So South Beach is a neighborhood in Miami Beach, Florida, and but Miami South Beach, Beach is. South Beach is different than Palm Beach. Is that near Palm Beach? Is that near it's Palm good. Beach? So South Went Beach. What's in Los Copa? South Beach. <laughs> South Beach is a neighborhood Me? in the city of Miami Beach, Florida. Miami Beach, I, Florida is not the same city as Miami. Are they way far away? No, they'd be like a 15 minute drive. <laughs> oh but I mean, it's like saying Oakland is in San Francisco. It's not. Great. You got that right. Right, I, I still don't understand the geographical layout of San Francisco. I've looked at a map so many times trying to understand, and I don't get it. San just Francisco is like famously like one square mile. Oh, yeah. San Francisco is a little bit, little tiny baby. I think it's so okay. cool that we love this movie so much that we like cannot even begin to talk about it. I'm a little like nervous have- about figuring out where to start. Shall we? Oh, no. I've got a good idea. Okay. I know exactly where to start. No, no. Yeah, the, the beginning of the movie. No, I, know I where, think we need to talk about yeah. who wrote and who directed this movie. Oh we yeah, we should get start in, there. No, well, is that where you really? You don't. Okay. Is there going to be a part of the movie where it's like, uh, you know, pause? Mike Nichols was a comedy person. Okay, I think that's a great idea. I think it's a great idea. Let's do a little background first. Okay, Absolutely. Nichols and May, famous comedy duo from like the fifties and sixties, the Compass Players and everything. Um, they split ways after being very successful improvisers and, and sketch actors together. Nichols directed first Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, then The Graduate. Then so what just, was he? Well, well, I'm sorry. Nichols was like 26. Probably. directed that f-ing movie with Richard Burn and, and Elizabeth Taylor. Plastic. Come on. What's the big deal? No, that's The Graduate. That's The Graduate, Brian. Huh? <laughs> He's oh. talking about Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. My yeah. wedding bouquet. Oh, yeah. Who's afraid of mine? <laughs> That's from Elaine. Hello, darkness, <laughs> my old friend. Well, no, I'm quoting Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Okay. We all are. So he went his way. And he went, like, to do his own thing. And Elaine May was like, that's fine. I'm a big screenwriter now. And I also direct some stuff. Short The Heartbreak Kid and uh, A New Leaf, which I still haven't seen. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it yet. I saw it's on Criterion. I'm really psyched. We should see it. I think it's, she also wrote yeah. Ichtar, which is famously like the worst movie ever. It was famously, Ooh. I think it's pretty good. I haven't seen it, but it's it's supposedly very good, but it was the like the biggest bomb, box office bomb of the time. That's so sad. It's that such a bummer. Really it was a, I think it cost a, a, a lot of money. You know what I just recently watched, though, while I'm in Lane May, which is Mikey and Nikki, 
which is uh, John Cassavetes and whoever played Columbo. I can't remember his name at the moment. But the uh, they had a real friendship, and it's a gangster movie set in Philly, and it's about male friendship, and it rules, and it's so funny and sad and scary, and uh, it's just a, a freaking delight. It takes place in one night where, like, one friend has to, like, uh, try to decide whether to put a hit on his other friend, and it's just them, like, palling around town. But it's Elaine May, Rowan directed it. And it's about really? It's like these two, two guys being friends. by the way. Peter Falk, of course. Uh, right, anyway, awesome. Can like, we put uh, links to links to all these movies in the show notes? Yeah, links to the show. Yeah, we'll I do that. will now. <laughs> um, okay, so they're both very famous on their own. Also, they both got married to like three different people each, and Elaine May uh, was apparently with this guy Stanley Donan until this oh, year when God. he died, and he directed uh, singing in the rain etc singing in the rain and charade <laughs> wow. and everything else that's crazy so this is like big deal people and this is so them we're talking heavy Becky, hitters becky becky has a fanfic later about elaine may and mike nichols getting back together i really wish i did but <laughs> instead of that i will read to you how they met from wikipedia much later Hot in the tamale. episode of course. oh great didn't they meet on a moving sidewalk in an airport <laughs> something like that <laughs> hello so uh so after not working together for like three decades they got back together to do this elaine may adapted the script from the kaja full mike nichols directed it and let's talk about the movie wait let's talk so, about the cinematographer for that first shot wait before yeah, we even get we got the first shot while we're on background um yeah. have, have any of you seen le kaja full no or read it or i made anything? five minutes in and then I, I I realized how much they that this movie is literally just a remake of that movie. And I was is like, it I exactly the same story? I, I can't I can't bear to watch anymore. It was literally like the male, like the Nathan Lane character was under a sheet saying I'm hideous or something. And I was like, I don't need. I, I'm good. I got. The, I, I like this. I like <laughs> Nathan Lane did it because one of the things I was like, it was it was interesting to me, Brian, hearing your tomato score on this. As I was watching this, I was like. This was in 95 or whatever. Um, 96, yeah. 96? Released in 96, probably shot in 95. It still completely works in 2020. Yes. It is so bizarre, and I'm sure we'll talk about this throughout, that this movie, you know, Harris Whittles or whatever, talked about how there's like only five or six good comedy films ever made. This, it doesn't, (laughs) like he's he was like, his, his, his list was like Step Brothers, like it was like Happy Gilmore. It was like these are the comedy films that work or whatever. Wait, there are only like, five or six, and and two of them are Step Brothers and Happy Gilmore. Yeah, I mean yeah. nothing against those movies, but no, yeah, yeah I mean, but that was like his point was just like these are like actual movies that you're laughing at, and not just like amusing, uh, lighthearted movies. He was like, these are comedies, these are actual comedies that you laugh at or whatever. Anyway, my point is just Paris, like, God bless. Yeah, God bless Harris Whittles. But this 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 movie feels like somehow it's it's this thing where it's both a glossy, high budget Hollywood movie and also the funniest movie ever. It's the funniest yeah. movie possibly of all time. I've never laughed out loud this much in any movie repeatedly every time. You know what's a very similar vibe to this movie that's also a great one is Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah. It's similar. It's like that's a, great a, point. a mix of serious actors being hilarious and yeah. hilarious yeah. actors being like hilarious, but in sort of a controlled way. 
uh, and like just great, like real scenery, beautiful locations. That's and- what it is. There was a budget for like locations and for sound and everything. And everything had like definitely a director's eye. Like I think Nichols considers himself an auteur or people consider him an auteur. And so like, Absolutely. every so it's like, it's going to look a certain way and it's going to have a certain amount of ownership over it that like the crap that comes out these days just don't have. Right. Um, but I it does think- have... Go ahead, Becky. Sorry. I was going to say that I think Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is a lot like it, but perhaps, like, but Death Becomes Her again comes to mind because there are certain movies from the 90s that when I watch them, I'm like, when was this made? Was like film really beautiful and like new and fresh looking in like the 90s? Like some movies yeah. in the 90s look like crap and some movies look like very nice. Mm-hmm. Right. Jackie and I just watched Pleasantville a week ago. And it's okay. like incredible. I think the '90s were maybe the best decade for movies. Oh, for sure. People just I still cared in like a good way, or maybe that's like since our like sensibilities for movies were getting formed in the '90s, that's why they seem so good to us. There's definitely a nostalgia element. Can I possibly? Say, yeah, I'm sure it's just that we grew up watching those movies, and they seem like the best and like the most modern. Ain't enough watch boring old movies. You can watch something new, like <laughs> I don't know, Seven. Uh-huh. But like. <laughs> But it is like the 80s was the return of the studio system fighting back against New Hollywood in the 70s. And then like the 90s culminating in 1999, which I think everyone agrees is like maybe the best year of movies ever. The best. Yeah. It's like. What came out in 99? The Matrix? Yeah. That's all I'm talking about. The Mm. Matrix, like being John Malkovich, all these like very. Insider, like all these like huge. Like Hollywood movies and independent movies all kind of like had these kind of vibes to them. I would say that, um, but but the, so the 90s were cool, but I would say this movie's like kind of almost like a Casablanca, which is like everyone is contributing in these interesting different ways that mm. makes it not entirely, it's like a singular artistic achievement, but it's not like one person. It's not like Stanley Kubrick was like an obsessive psychopath over every frame of this movie. It was like, Nathan, all the actors were doing their part, and all the and the and Elaine May was this enormous presence on it. And so it's it yeah, kind of, it was like a super team, super, super team. And 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 maybe bring us to the beginning of the movie. Yes, yeah, uh, speaking of talking. singular artistic vision, <laughs> are we about, ready to talk about the opening shot? <laughs> are we ready to talk about the opening shot of this movie? Which I I still can't believe this is the opening shot of this movie. It's so it needlessly, impossibly, perfectly done. And it do, no, it doesn't work. There's like so so can I just can I just what say do you this mean? Real quick? so so Emmanuel Lubezki who's the cinematographer for this movie ended up winning back to back to back best cinematography Oscars no way he yeah. he, he won he, a Chicago Bull style three peat he, he three peated at the Oscars he won for what was the first one he won for Birdman no he won for Gravity Birdman and then The Revenant uh, Bird the Revenant. Cage and Cage Man yeah exactly oh but yeah this, I. I for sure thought you were going to say one of them was Birdcage. And I was like, what did he do before and <laughs> after man this? Was cage, Cage, Man, Luke, Cage. Cool Man, Luke. Man, Luke. That's the thin loop. <laughs> but he he's trying to do in this what he ended up doing in the next decade, with, or in two decades from now, which is just like stitching together dis, disparate shots. It's and like, I don't think they're that disparate. Like, Until I was told where to look, I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell where they were stitched. Oh, really? I, I, I still. I think, that, I think the ambition, like, the ambition of it, allows you to forgive it almost in my mind. Where I'm just like, wait, you went from helicopter to crane to handheld in a single shot. 
Emma, it looks amazing. It looks great. Yeah. No, it's a little like it's like 1917 to me where it's like, okay, yeah, the ambition is so great that it's like, is it a perfect movie? No, but (laughs) you're going for something. Yeah. Maybe the script was so freaking good that Nichols was like, well, we got to open pretty big. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they did this huge shot, which I'm always amazed that it's a helicopter shot because the water isn't rippling. Mm-hmm. It must be. It's like a helicopter to a crane to a steady cam into the club. Yeah. Yes. For Insane. this movie and- about a drag owner <laughs> whose son has to get married to a conservative senator. It begins with the most uh, technically impossible shot in movie history. And, and also... And also with audio, with music, like opening music that has to then at the end of the shot sync up with people singing on stage. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. I had never realized that. This is why that's such a good shot. Ready? Here we go by Becky Abrams. <laughs> when uh, when you're entering or leaving a movie, you're being invited in and, being, and then being later being told to leave. Sure. So us being invited in, maybe this is the movie's way of saying, look. You're not gay. You're not a drag queen. You're not from Miami Beach. Like, you're coming from a long way out, but we're pulling you in. It might be a little weird looking. Might be a little weird. You might get weird. You're going to see some new stuff. And by the way, that music you've been hearing, that's the rhythm of all of our hearts. And we've been feeling this way perfectly in sync the whole time. Welcome to this lifestyle. (laughs) I wish we were recording videos so you guys could all see Becky dancing while she described that. Basically, trashing. Here's what I love about the opening credits. There wasn't a huge flourish for like written by Elaine May, produced and directed by Nike Nichols. It's like just barely there. No. Or maybe there was. You can't pay attention to it. You're captivated by the shot. That's it. Sweeping over the ocean. The only light on the horizon, the glimmering strip of Miami Beach or Palm Beach or whatever it is. (laughs) I ruined it. Palm Beach. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So. We join these people, and it's not even our people. It's people on stage. Well, I don't think we not our people just because they're drag queens. Well, what's exciting also about the this movie is that every small role ends up playing some huge part in the story eventually. <laughs> yeah. Like every single one of the drag queens in that opening number ends up redesigning the entire house. That's true, and then, I forgot that. And then and then helping them escape at the end. It's like, there isn't any... Yeah, yeah, yeah. the stage manager is like a huge character, not because he's very tall. He's, he's very also tall. a huge character in the movie. It's just like, they're all... Every, there's there's not a wasted moment in this whole thing. I, I need you to sure. time. <laughs> what? <laughs> Colin said, I made you short. <laughs> um, I noticed when I started looking for it, that really tall white haired drag queen. Yeah. Yes. Short white hair. I've seen her everywhere. She's there from the beginning. Yeah, she's oh, the one. Yeah. She's chatting yeah. with Armand right before he walks past his own kitchen in the restaurant and like watches someone pick something up off the floor. I so love that. Maybe a little bit of uh foreshadowing when he oh, drops wow, yeah. before. Although oh, that, wow. was a, that was an accident. Wait, so I I miss this. Is that there's like of course there's a kitchen and they serve food in the club and they Apparently. didn't y- make use of that for the dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. That's a great that's a great that's well maybe because he saw the food get spilled. <laughs> oh, or wow. maybe 
I don't know. I don't know. That is a weird little flip, isn't it? Um, okay, we, so what's up? We gotta talk about the, we're going to talk about this opening scene. I mean, I mean here's here's the problem with this film. You you could you could do you could do ten ten hour parts in this movie. I mean, this whole so, thing with the Kennedys. What's beginning, the Kennedys joke is hilarious. The Kennedys joke is so funny. They want him to cover uh, the tab, but he's like, "Give him free coffee." And then he and walks then, over. And he walks, walks over, over and makes like, a big show of it. Make sure to save room for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> cheap. He's, a, he's a cheap guy. He's a cheap guy. Whatever. He's smart. He had to make his money somehow. He's fifty years old. <laughs> All right. So, so there's, and then there's the scene where they have to do this fun watching, fun like quick change that that one guy has to like put on a little bra and like a huge neon yeah. feather headdress, and then you like glimpse the stage and it's three guys on like fake horses. <laughs> I love that? that part yeah. so much. I love that they're, they're like, yeah, these are men. I know you won't believe it, but these yeah. are here's, these are actually men. Here's the underbelly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, then but, Armand is told he has to rush upstairs because Agadora comes down and Sarina won't perform. Is that what, what you call an inciting incident? That Starina won't perform? I don't I think, think so. It that shouldn't make anything I, I think it, I think it might be the son coming home and saying he's getting married might be the... Uh, okay. I mean, this is just drama. This is just what happens every single night at the club. There's no way this is any different than what happened yesterday. Armand (laughs) wants uh, Starina to go on stage so he can talk to Val alone as requested. But Mm. also Starina needs to go on stage. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They paid money to come see her. For a while I thought Starina was also named Victoria Page. And then I... (laughs) Looked up Victoria Page. There's like this whole thing. Yeah, Victoria Page will not dance the dance of the red shoes tonight or any other. Yeah, exactly. Or any night. <laughs> so good, and he he knows perfectly well that he's going to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This is the performance. I mean, yeah. this is the yeah. show. Because <laughs> the sh- the show is the same every night, but yeah. this is he gets yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe Starina as a persona? Like yeah, the, the actual on stage persona? Yeah. I mean, she's doing a lot of, it seems like she's doing a lot of Judy Garland. Yeah. There's a lot of like, uh, yeah. It's like, little, it's like a little Streisandy. Uh-huh. A little bit. There's a little like cabaret, like lounge lizard, like, hey, here's the story of my life. I dated a guy like this. Yeah. 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 There's like that mother maturity kind of like, I'm, now I'm here. I'm taking care of all of you kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to bring on home that her first song is like with this giant leopard print muff and there's like a fun like tail thing that comes out of it. And if you didn't know any better, you could think that her character is like, what? It comes with accessories. Um, So if you didn't know any better, you would think that she was like a big game hunter character. Yeah. Like her whole deal is like rich and kills animals. Well, she says, right? She's like, I just came back from Safari. Yeah. Well, she says, don't worry, I didn't kill it. Or is she, I like, she could just be a Safari character. Or is this a character that's on so many shows that she's like, sometimes I go shopping, sometimes I do tea, sometimes I go on Safari. 
it feels like a pretty nimble character. And it's also like, there's so much, because literally Starina coming down now is like jumping ahead, to be honest with you guys. And I don't want to like get on my- It my is, it actually is. We have a whole- it actually, There's like a whole scene here where the whole movie kind of sets itself up. Sorry, but when Starina, do, when Starina does show up, it's like, this better be freaking terrific. And then she does and you're like- oh, <laughs> It really yeah. is. So I would go see the show. That song is a Sondheim song. This I want. This we have to talk about at some point because so so Sondheim wrote all the songs for this show, all the original. Yeah, no way. The the original like, (laughs) like the original songs are Sondheim songs, right? Wow, that's Come on, baby, do that conga. Only one of them is original. It's a little dream. The one. Oh, that's right. Albert has this like rehearsal too. Then Sondheim recycled. Sondheim recycled two other songs. One is. Can that boy Foxtrot, which is the one Starina singing, mm-hmm. unprepossessing, <laughs> and then love <laughs> is all around, love is around, or like love is in the air, or something like that, yes. was supposed to be the beginning of a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, and then they changed mm. it to comedy tonight. Wow, Zach, you must have been thinking of Miami Sondheim Machine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sorry, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, okay, let's, so, about let's go back in time. Let's go back. <laughs> so this first scene is. So, <laughs> so funny. Where where Nathan? I'm sorry, Becky. Cut all of this out. I'm just, <laughs> da- just stammering at how funny this whole scene is. Go for it. Take us there. So, Serena won't come down and perform. She's being prodded to do it by their uh, houseboy Agador Spartacus. And uh, Nathan Lane's character is revealed by she. He just begins underneath a sheet crying <laughs> and then finally like just pulls it down over his face to tell the Agador that he looks haggard. That's it's amazing. He just to try, and, to try and offload some supplements because he won't need them anymore. Like it's all calculated to bridge to talking about how his relationship is ruined. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, it is all pretty bridged together for for yeah. <laughs> Albert. Um, and the only way that Albert will calm down after barricading himself into his room with Agador, so that Armand's trying to get in and he can't get in until he really does a little bit of a pratfall. Very good physical comedy right off the bat. So Armand talks her into it, talks Nathan Lane into it, and then <laughs> Shaver comes out and he starts getting to work <laughs> on his on his beard and mustache and his chest, but only after a in tablet. That's right. And you're also establishing this, like, there's this palimony thing, right? Which is like, mm-hmm. this is like this pre, like, where we're literally like a gay marriage was like impossible to imagine as an idea in like American politics, which this movie is so deeply political and like about like American politics or whatever. It's about a and senator, then, like a conservative a senator. senator. Yeah. And so there's like this kind of like, this recognition of like, is their relationship a legitimate relationship mm-hmm. throughout and this? If you get mm. a palimony agreement, is that the same as like a wedding? Yeah, exactly. And this whole movie is obsessed with weddings and like unions and stuff and what's legitimate and what's not. Right. Uh, so it, it, it's very interesting because they did this scene also sets up that, um, that sort of conflict between them. And sort of the, the, catalyst in this moment for wanted wanting the palimony agreement is the discovery of there's chilled white wine in the fridge <laughs> when you and i oh, both oh, only yeah. drink bread. you know something's yeah. up 
Yeah. <laughs> he's always worried about getting like cheated on because he's old. And so he needs the palimony agreement because he's really sad that they're going to like get a divorce and he'll be left penniless, I guess. But also right. unloved and cheated on. I don't know. Uh, back to the palimony thing really quick. Armand does say, is tomorrow all right? For getting the palimony yeah. agreement. And then he does have it the next oh. day or two days later. Oh, okay. yeah. I guess that's true. Um, which is funny because can you even type that up? That seems like some sort of Hollywood shorthand. Like, is there really a contract that says like palimony agreement on the top? He said he had him. He said he had the papers. Well, yeah, I think that's what the note said. <laughs> that's what the papers said. <laughs> um, okay, so what, what, do, what do we have here, guys? So, so right, you, the conversation you with Val? Uh, well, you dropped, Becky mentioned the Purin tablets, which is oh, one yeah. of my favorite jokes in, in the history of comedy. It took me that, years uh, to get to of watching this movie. I didn't get it until like halfway into watching it. And it's interesting, like, Robin Williams' character isn't that upset by Starina not being willing to perform. He knows it, like, he has to go through the rigmarole and, and sort it all out. But he's very upset with Agador that he would be giving her drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then Agador has to explain, it's, Pyrin tablets are just aspirin with the A and the S uh, yeah. wiped out. Off. Yeah. yeah. He's very smart, ultimately. He's a very yeah, good it, it's a maid. it's such a great joke. Yeah. Um okay, so <laughs> Albert, I guess, is like secretly a pill head. <laughs> Since he's like willing to do the show having been offered but, pills. But Albert but he's a placebo pill head. Which yeah, makes it no, even he just better. wants to be a pill head and thinks he yeah. is. <laughs> um Here's a quick thing I wanted to bring up because while I was watching the scene, while I'm always watching any part of the birdcage, I'm always like, wow, Robin Williams is so like uh, controlled for this performance, right? He's not doing his right. like mile a minute, I'm hot dog, I'm Howard Koshel. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> he's like, he's like being a human being, he's imbuing this character with a lot of like dignity or whatever. And I have, I was reading that originally the casting was supposed to be Steve right. Martin as Armand. And Robin Williams says, Albert. And I was like, ew, that would have been a way different movie. Because Steve Martin, my first thought was, but I want someone gay playing Armand. Which is so funny because I'm fine with Robin doing it. But it's like because Robin imbued him with such humanity and depth and dignity and like real emotional mm-hmm. feeling. It's not like a joke. I think totally. that... I think that you could get away. I don't I don't think it would be as good. I think you could get away with swapping in Steve Martin for Robin Williams. I don't think you could I, I think that Nathan Lane is like irreplaceable in this movie. It just, I, I don't it's hard to imagine yeah, anybody. It would be very hard to imagine Plus Robin is, Williams had just done Mrs. Doubtfire or was about to do it or Yeah, so I mean Robin Williams I think was coming off of kind of an unprecedented comedy blockbuster string, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, let's I mean he was coming off of... Aladdin would have been within a couple of years before this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was he was the most bankable Hollywood movie star for a comedy there was. And he back chose to back to back Oscars. <laughs> yeah, for real. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he always took on these weird little roles in like toys. Or I remember like being human. But like he was... Toys is was so big, weird. Yeah, very weird. Out. Yeah. But he was like still the most bankable comedy star and to make, to take on this role seems like a pretty, a pretty risky move. Consider you were just in like Aladdin. 
you know? Yeah, pretty, like, family-friendly dude. But he was like, no, I'm going to play, like, a just a gay guy that's, like, not even that. Like, if he is flamboyant, he's, like, proudly so. And it's not, like, how you would have him be. It's how he would have him be. It is the most restrained Robin Williams performance, I, I think, of his entire career. Yeah, honestly. Like, I don't know if it... He, he must have had such respect for either the story or Mike Nichols or something about this because he's not going off and and from what you can tell he's not just going off and ad-libbing at every moment and and going into crazy robin williams he is fully this armand character and that's why when he does pick his moments and he does go off and does martha graham martha graham yeah which is still quite quite weighed in i would say for him that's true too like that could have gone way off the wall for sure. And but when he does pop off in those moments, it is like it's very the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, but it also it feels like when he has those outbursts, it feels like they're emotionally motivated in a way that like he really is just that, you know, and <laughs> yeah. as opposed to like he's playing a character who can also be a funny guy. Like in Mrs. Doubtfire, which I think is a good movie but not as good as this, but like uh he like the excuse for him to be funny is that like, oh, well he's a funny guy. Like the genie. The excuse for the genie to be funny is that the genie is a funny guy. It's like that. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a lot um, of unrelated to time or chronology references that he's just dying to give. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And so much about this movie is about his character trying to restrain himself and not be big and flamboyant. Oh, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Totally. I think, so they say, I've heard as that, or Meryl Streep said, that uh, sometimes comedians can make really good dramatic actors because they're committing completely. And what makes them funny oftentimes is like that they're committing. And so what would make them good as dramatic actors is that they're committing. And I feel like Robin Williams just truly, they, a lot of the lines are improvised, apparently. Huh. Like Mike Nichols, I read in the trivia that Mike Nichols insisted on having like one well done scripted shot of each scene. But after that he would let uh he would let everybody like Nathan Lane and Robin Williams go off script. And even that, assuming we saw some improvisations, um, even that's nice and like restrained and getting to the heart of it and like dealing with what Armand would feel like saying right then. Not like what's funny to say. Yeah, that's so interesting. Of course, the two great, like the two people who helped invent improvisation, Nichols and May, could like turn all of that into like powerful storytelling too, like hilarious and also just motivated. You know. Yeah, I'm really. I'm. I read a lot of stuff about Nichols as a director, and there are a lot of quotes from people being like, he would like give me a really good idea and make me think it was my idea, which to Mm -hmm. me is like that's such fun. Like, you can tell that Nichols, as an actor's director, would be, like, thinking about how he would do the scene, and then he just, like, gives that to them mm-hmm. to, like, take or leave as they see fit. Also, when you were talking about how great uh, comedy actors can be great dramatic actors, I also thought you were going to mention the flip of that. Gene Hackman is so <laughs> funny in this because he does commit completely to his character. Yes, he really does. He's outstanding in this movie. Okay, so are we there? Where are we? Where are we? So Serena went down. She's performing. And now Armand has returned uh, up to, uh, I mean. So Agador doing my patio. first favorite I mean, thing from yes, the Birdcage. 
it's Agador. I mean, it's I know now we bang through two of the best performances of the movie, but uh, Hank is area as this mm. uh, as Agador star, I guess. I mean, he's outstanding as well because it's also an emotionally driven role. He's not just being <laughs> yeah. silly. He wants like, to be in the show. To, he wants to be in the show, Ricky. <laughs> yeah, which is that it's funny because that is such an I Love Lucy thing, like wanting to be in the show. But it's also like why his parents moved from Guatemala to New Jersey. Like, <laughs> this is stupid. Uh, Hang on, we're jumping ahead stupid. again. Though. Um, no, we're not. This is this is right here. That's it. Yeah, this is, this is where he comes up back upstairs. <laughs> this is also when they. Well, I thought it was maybe the next morning when he's like, "My mother was a high priestess," and he's like, "Why they no, moved?" He was like, "Gosh, it's so stupid." I that was the next morning is when I he think... made the sludge. Okay. All right. So um, I wanted to notice that. This whole, who's Robin trying to see, like, ruse, where they're trying to make Val seem like not his son, but maybe his young lover. I wrote down all the ways that they're doing this, and I just feel like this is, for such a perfect movie, so unnecessary to be like, for sure. it's just, you might think he's actually having an affair, but it's like, maybe they felt like they had to. Okay, he's chilling white wine instead of red, which they both drink. He changes his top. Once he gets up there, he changes to like a nicer sh- wow, fresher I didn't shirt. That. Possibly because he's such a sweaty guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he says uh, he's getting better looking every day. These are the weird things he does to greet his son that make us think it might be like a sexual partner. But sure. then when Val says he's getting married and Armand chugs his white wine, we realize they're father and son. So like, it also su- it suffers from the like emperor. Palpatine in the prequels problem, which was just like, yeah, we like know what this movie's about just from like watching a commercial for it. So it's not like we're like, wait a minute. That's yeah. his yeah. like that might be his lover. It's like I know the premise of the film, so I think I'll be I think I'll be okay. <laughs> Jackie said the exact same thing that it's like it is like weirdly unnecessary, like how long how long they like keep that going. Yeah, even when Val's there, he like touches his hair. Like you cut your hair, I like it. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like it's like yeah, it, it is. It is strange. Me, like first of all, I'm not falling for it, and second of all, I am also not falling for it. I already knew. You already told me. This may also just be a sign of the times, too, where it's like the idea that a gay man could have a son might have been sort of like an impossible, like a less mm-hmm. than yeah. imaginable yeah. idea in the '90s. So right. then you you were able to sort of like split the difference there. But yeah, it I is, remember it when is I so first learned book. a gay guy could have a son from Jack from Will and Grace. <laughs> and he had that son. <laughs> He's got a grandson of the new stuff. Oh which, my god! I need to I be. I love it. Eh, you don't need. You don't need. Them. I feel like I owe it to them somehow. I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. I have a minor beef that way we kind of just got to, which is like, this All is right, one do your the- beef, and then can we continue with the podcast? Yeah, this is a grievance. Uh- <laughs> Brian's grievances. <laughs> uh so like the um the kids are 20 and 18 and i don't know if it would have hit any less if they were instead like both 22 or 22 and 21 they would have still been very young to be getting married even in 1996 especially if they like barely knew each other and it's just one of those and obviously these actors are not 20 and 18 you know, it's just one of those things. It feels a little bit like Game of Thrones where they're like, well, if we just write this character to act like someone who's basically 20, but then we pretend that they're like several years younger, 
then they seem precocious or advanced or like a prodigy. And it's like, well, but no, also, you just well, through the movie, everything Barbara does is like pretty stupid. <laughs> like lying about her future husband's last name. Or find out that they're any like so she does that kind of stupid, but I think you could be that stupid in 21. Like, I don't I don't see why she has to be, like, younger than your average freshman in college, especially since Calissa Flockhart was da 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 30. Do it. 30. 32? 30. <laughs> 30. I'm not surprised. 32 wow. when it came out, but maybe 30 Both when they were filming. and Dan Futterman are like, there's no way you're 20. Oh, yeah. and it's like, why? Like, it was very confusing to me. Honestly... Look, this is skipping ahead a little bit, but we'll come back. The way that Dan Futterman relates to, the way that Val relates to Albert always used to confuse me as a kid because it'd be like, did Armand and Albert start dating when Val was like 16 or something? He acts like he doesn't know him. It's the same way The Shining used to confuse me. I was like, is Jack Torrance Danny's like stepdad or something? They're like not acting like they know each other. Right. That's interesting. I mean, it's a totally different thing, but like. It also... Like, you get the sense sometimes that Armand and Albert, like, started dating very soon after he was born. Yeah, yeah that's, but my, I, that's my interpretation. But yeah, yeah, he yeah. called him a little piglet. He's going through the photo album, yeah. But you're right. Yeah, they don't act exactly. He he does, like, because Albert himself refers to himself as anti-Albert. Yeah. Mm. When, he ha- when he's having the cake custom decorated. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the shaken beckons. When the shaken beckons. So can we can we talk just for a second about how uh, the patio at the birdcage is very much like the Jersey Shore house uh, patio? Wow! Wow! I didn't put that together at all, but I, I I'll tell you what I do love having like a little pool with a tiny water slide much more than a hot tub. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Way Agree with you, yes. And I think if the Jersey Shore people got to be in that house, that would have been a dope summer. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. oh can you imagine? I thought uh, that was someone's television. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, wait, really quick, guys. This is just a little catch-up from months and months of not being, like, recording close to when we're uh, releasing, but I will say our last episode, we got a lot of help from our super fan Trizzo, ta 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 Trizzo, uh, helping Trizzo. us up the audio. And we have a review, a new review on mm. iTunes that I haven't talked nice. about. A yet. new five star review. Is it five star? Let's see. Um, and we also got a lot of likes on our last Instagram, so I'm super excited. I hope this is the beginning of a beautiful following. Was that cool to say? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was very cool. Did you say a beautiful fellowing? Oh, I said following. Like, I meant to say following. Like Brian Fellows? Not Brian Fellows. Okay, it's actually a four-star review. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, Let's see what lot. we can do to pump that up. Oh, yeah. It says... I keep looking for more JSFR recaps, and it seems like y'all suddenly stopped and went to classic episodes. Any chance that you will do more recaps for the Last of the Family reunion episodes? Is it ending? Wow. Is wow, Jersey Shore ending? Is Was that part of the review? Well, yeah, they said the Last of the Family reunion episodes, but maybe they meant of that season. 
Also, That's they correct. make family You're... vacation. They make family reunion, but they mean family vacation. I like that somebody accidentally refer somebody else accidentally referred to the show by our name. Easy mistake to make. Take that family vacation. Someone mistook <laughs> you for us. Take that, please. Um, yeah, I I mean I don't know how you guys want to feel this, but uh, you're correct to whoever wrote this review. We did uh, switch over to rewatching some classic episodes and talking about those. Also talking about some of our classic favorite movies and TV shows, We're like uh, the Galaxy of the Family. And and honestly, like I I appreciate I love so much uh, Jersey Shore and everything that it stands for. And I appreciate that you do too and want to hear our recaps about it. But at a certain point, I, I, there were other things that I wanted to watch more than the current Jersey Shore episodes uh, and talk mm. about those things. That, that's a good and point. honestly, that's just where I, where I got to. Well, I think that, you know, I just want to, the thing I really want to piggyback um, off of from that statement is that absolutely, we, we definitely agree with everything the show stands for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely every you know everything that that the show it's it's like really it's good american values and, yeah you uh, know, i would say it's more like a sort of a gnostic christian kind of value where it's like you know how phil k dick would sort of he kind of had this vision that there was you know we were all trapped in a kind of uh uh first century palestine just after the crucifixion of christ that? and and then he, you know, and then we're all still stuck in the black iron prison about that. And yeah. now we, and now what it turns out is that we, uh, anyway, so like Jersey Shore is our Vallis. Uh, do you understand? Uh, yeah. I understand. I, yeah, I followed that. It's, it's like C.S. Lewis. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. To me, Jersey Jer- Shore is my albatross with rhyme all over it. I think mm. rhyme is a coding or something. Is that right? I was thinking about the rhyme of the ancient mariner uh, this week, so I, I was wondering what that was. I think it's when two words end with the same sounds. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, so, so that's our but that's our update of that. But we're just now getting into the Keeley's house. Thank yeah, you for so the review and for the honest question. Yeah, thank you for the review and thank you to everybody who's uh, interacting with us uh, on our. On our, I was about to say Facebook. We don't have one of those. <laughs> on our Instagram at Jersey Shore Family Reunion, on our Twitter at Family Reunion, and on Gmail, Jersey Shore Family Reunion at gmail.com. And a special shout out to our patrons on Patreon. And I guess, in a way, the special shout out that they get is all that juicy, juicy, special private content that no one else gets to see or hear. Uh, and they know what that is. They, they enjoy it, they love it. Where's mm-hmm. your little chippy? Okay, I'm jumping ahead. Okay. <laughs> I do appreciate that we are 52 minutes into recording this and we're six, 17 we're minutes like into We're like two the seasons film. in. <laughs> this is a two-hour movie, so we can really look at the like act divisions and midpoint and stuff pretty I, directly, I think. I guess I just yeah. mean, I think we could probably squeeze four episodes out of this just uh, if we just did it in a couple sittings, probably. Absolutely. Probably. Uh, you're not wrong. If there's anything I took from that last comment that that uh, that Becky read off is that people want four episodes about <laughs> us talking about birdcage right now. Back to Mundo. 
so let's let's meet the Keelys and then we'll wrap up this week's episode. Oh, um, for sure. So, Keelys. Does that seem right to you guys? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> everything about this is very funny something i did was go through the, as i was watching and try to figure out which which lines would be each of your favorite lines Ooh. from this scene specifically <laughs> no that's a good, good question uh, no from the whole movie I, I, honestly i do have a favorite line from every single scene I yeah i think that seems like a good we should probably do an hour-long bonus episode where we assign each podcaster their favorite line from the scene. <laughs> so Zach's favorite lines are probably like I mean honestly uh Zach's favorite line is I don't believe this. I'm ruined. I'm fucking ruined. <laughs> I do like believe this. I'm ruined. You know what? It is jumping ahead, but I do think it is funny because it is almost the exact same game as that Tim Robinson Lady Luck sketch where he comes in super high status. He's like, he's like, he he's going to be president of the United States. He goes, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. Oh, it's good. Uh, okay, anyway. but so we first this meet scene, talking about. Yeah. Barbie's trying to explain how she got engaged because she's 17 and a half or whatever. And they've been sleeping together for a year. Can you imagine saying that to your parents? And We've been both, sleeping together for a year. Both parents both do like a rote like, ugh, great. But they're totally fine with it. <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah. I guess we knew when we sent her to college. Like, I don't know. Wouldn't they have an issue? Yeah, it seems like they more don't want to hear it than are actually upset about it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Barbara has uh, has he been tested gets like a huge reaction from Diane Weiss and then he has it so if I gets an even bigger one yeah. oh my yeah. god uh, Diane tells- what a treasure is it Weist, Weist, Weist or Weist uh, depends on what continent she's in oh let's each take one <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay so let's see let's get to oh my my favorite line from that scene is when uh i think this is the right scene when he's watching he's like watching the tv or no that's later that's later sorry that's the the same one that zach's favorite line is from yeah Yeah. which is coming uh yeah but let's talk about this for just a second because this also has the funniest thing i've ever seen my entire life in this scene which is when uh Finally, Val puts Armand on the phone to talk to Barbara. <laughs> First of all, Barbara tells like 30 lies in this scene for some, for some yeah. reason. Except the entire plot of this movie. But then... <laughs> she just made up a bunch of random lines and now we have to do a movie about it. Yeah, exactly. So, but then when Val finally puts Armand on the phone and he says, uh, he toasts her, he says, here's to your future. And he toasts the, uh, the cordless phone and it shatters. <laughs> Not you, dear. That was great. That was not my toast. Just broke my glass. I'm sorry. Also, like when she's when she's I don't I don't know if I think this is when she's on the phone and when she started talking to her parents, is that she's standing in front of a portrait of Gene Hackman, like with his arms crossed and looking very like (laughs) (laughs) I love a movie where they're like, you know what we need? We're going to need a portrait of Hackman looking like an asshole. 
They made a portrait for that so it could be in like two shots of the movie. Just so that he can be overbearing and staring down at her. There's also shots where he's in a mirror. He's like all over his own house. Yeah, I don't know if we... Oh, yeah. If we're running long on this episode, and I don't know if we're running short, maybe you need some more content. But the the guy who's the the production designer on this movie, you know, Bo Welch. Do you know about him? I've heard the name. What's the deal? He's back so he's to back married. to back Oscars. I wonder if he did. He got nominated for a couple. I don't think he ever won. He's married to Catherine O'Hara. They met on the set of Beetlejuice, where he was the the production oh designer. Production designer for Beetlejuice. Wow. Okay. Wow. Uh, I I'm so glad you brought this up because I did want to. I wanted to talk about, yeah, the production design and also the costumes are exquisite in this entire Crazy. movie. They really are. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, just uh, Bo Welch went on to direct. He was such a successful production designer that they let, they let he started directing his own movies. including movies? Oh, Which wow. movies? Uh, actually, forgive me, I just looked it up. He directed one film. It was The Cat in the Hat. And that, <laughs> <My was it. laughs> and that was the last time they let Bowell's directive of film. And I'll see myself out. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, I just, I guess I'm just good about picking which couch to use. Uh, I'm, uh, ruined. I I'm ruined. I can't fucking believe this. <laughs> <laughs> what a talented production designer. <laughs> You know the guy who you know the guy who picks all the frames for the pictures and the thing. Let's just he could direct it. He yeah. Direct the actors. What could go wrong? It's Doctor Seuss. Everybody loves Doctor Seuss. The rhyme of Doctor Seuss. Everything in the Birdcage Club alone is like fabulous. All of the like the like there's a wall inside their apartment that's got the same wall design as inside the the Birdcage, where it's like a jungle like oh yeah fresco looking thing. And they've got the and, uh, their cool pool. Where did they film that? Seriously. And and what a delightful, like, uh, how rare is it that a movie, like the plot of the movie hinges on the production design? Like they, <laughs> That's, uh, that's so true. Like they had to they find have all the like, like, basic statues and like... <laughs> <laughs> and like yeah. very you know the trees that Val is holding when they're changing up the decor they're like the nipplyest lemons I've ever seen oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we found the most erotic like horribly sexual lemons <laughs> he's like holding two bushes that are boobs and each one has like a, a soccer lemons. ball smattering of the, its own little teats on it <laughs> Guys, this is where we have to end this episode. I sure. cannot believe how much more we have to say about this. Guys, we're only t- we're almost twenty minutes in, so I think we'll probably be fine. But this is how Home Alone <laughs> went. I feel like we got to the opening credits of Home Alone and somehow managed to shoehorn in the rest of it. We did. Yeah. We had to set up all the themes that we're going to be talking about. Talk about yeah. Welcher. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say about Gene Hackman or Robin Williams for the rest of the time, so that should help. We <laughs> already talked about it. Certainly right. nothing more about Hank Azaria. Yeah. <laughs> and his shoes and how he never wears them because they make him fall down. <laughs> okay, we love you guys. We'll see you again soon. See you. Bye. bye. Five star reviews. Come on, shake your body, baby, do that conga. Come on, shake your body, baby, do that conga.